So I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we'll jump right in. So, uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for, again, this time. Uh, we thank you for this opportunity to unpack your word. Uh, please uh, speak uh, to us, Lord God, through it. And we pray, dear God, that you prepare our hearts, help us to uh, hopefully uh, glean something from it that will draw us closer to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the title of the sermon tonight is uh, Perseverance True Prayer. And we're going to be in the book of Daniel, uh, so Daniel chapter 6 specifically. Uh, so I don't know about you, but Daniel, if you're using one of the, the black Bibles, it's around the 740 ish page number. Uh, but personally, Daniel is actually one of my favorite books, uh, just because it's just some of the most iconic and fun stories that I remember from childhood and adulthood. Uh, in the book of Daniel. So if you think of Daniel, any stories pop out that you could think of? Anybody? Interactive question. Yes, no? Daniel and... Huh? Yes, the fiery furnace. Anything else? Yes, the lions, right? Anybody else? No? Yes? I know. Maybe you should go back to Sunday school. Like these, are, these are all Sunday school stories. Hmm? Yeah, the fasting. Yeah. Exactly. All these incredible stories, right? So my personal favorite, which is the one we're going to do tonight, is Daniel and the Lions, then. And that's actually in chapter 6. So while you're turning there, um, I want to just talk a little bit about, about Daniel, right? So um, the book of Daniel itself is written during a period of exile to the exiles, right? So right before it happened, um, Nebuchadnezzar came, he conquered Jerusalem, took a bunch of people away, right? Um, the first half of the book, the first six chapters or so, they're really narrative, telling stories. And then the second half, they're prophetic, apocalyptic prophecy. And uh, Trumper Longman, so he's a, a very renowned Old Testament scholar. Uh, this is what he wrote, right? He's contributed a lot to the book of, our understanding of the book of Daniel. He said, the message of Daniel that God is all-powerful and in control in spite of present conditions is intended to present a powerful encouragement to the exiles. Every chapter in the book communicates God's sovereignty over the kingdoms of this world. So that's a really awesome thing, that God is all-powerful and in control in spite of present circumstances. And he also mentioned something. He mentioned sovereignty, right? And in order for us to really, I think I would say, uh, grasp the book of Daniel fully, we need to understand what sovereignty means, right? So I'll define it, because... Truthfully, living in the United States, we don't have the same idea of sovereignty just because we don't really have, you know, queens and kings and monarchs, really. Uh, so in Europe, Asia, Middle East, they, they, they probably capture this a bit better. So in countries like Saudi Arabia and, and Oman, for instance, there's a sovereign. He's a ruler. That person is in complete control. Um, they could do whatever they want, uh, whenever they want. Um, they answer to no one, right? So everyone has to follow their rules. Um, and everything within their dominion is considered theirs, right? That's what it means to be sovereign. It's, it's complete control. So sovereignty means um, supreme power or authority, right? And in reference to God specifically, it means that, similar to what Trump alone said, that God is all-powerful, and he has all authority over the entire world in spite of the present conditions that we see. So that's a really important thing to understand as you walk through this book. So before we jump into chapter 6, I'll just quickly, quickly summarize like, the first five chapters, right? So in chapter 1, we have 
I mentioned Daniel and the other, many of the captives and the exiles being brought to um, Babylon um, from Jerusalem. They're, they're trained up uh, for three years or so, and then they join um, Nebuchadnezzar's court, and they become advisors. Daniel and his four friends are the ones that we, his three friends are the ones we, we see in the story. Uh, in chapter 2 and chapter 4, we see God's given Daniel um, the ability to interpret dreams. Not just interpret them, but to, to actually tell you what you dreamt and interpreted, right? So chapter 2 and chapter 4, we see him unpack dreams that nobody else could really even understand. Uh, chapter 3, in between, we have the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, you know, Nebuchadnezzar makes a statue, and he says, bow down. They're like, no, we're not going to bow down. Throws them in the fiery furnace, and instead of burning up, they come out fine because God protects them. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar is in shock, right? Chapter 5, um, we see Daniel literally interpreting writing on a wall from a hand, right? So that's that stain that we have, oh, the writings on the wall came from here. So this hand shows up. They, they don't know what to do. Daniel interprets it. He says the kingdom is about to fall. And that very night, the Medes and Persians take over what's left of Babylon, right? So that's the first five chapters. And tonight we're going to be in chapter 6. So... The story itself uh, is a very well-known story, and the verse that we're going to focus on is verse 10. It says that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So I won't read the whole chapter, but what I'll do is I'll summarize verses 1 to 9 and tell you what happened. So in the first nine verses, we, we, we get introduced to the main characters, right? We see the satraps, the administrators, we see the king, we see Daniel, um, and, we rec- and, and something's happening. So basically, at this time, Daniel is, you know, one of the leading administrators, but he's way better at his job than everybody else, right? God has just blessed him with excellence. And he stands apart, so the king says, well, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him in charge of everyone, Okay. Well, unfortunately, uh, he has some interesting co-workers who, um, they don't want that to happen. So they literally manipulate and convince the king to put this law into effect that says it's forbidden to pray to anybody except the king for a month, right? And obviously, you know, Daniel, Daniel doesn't follow that, and we see chapter 10, right? So we see, we see verse 10. We see that When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. So I'll pause there for a second. Um, Anybody ever had difficult co-workers? I mean, like really difficult ones, ones that you needed God's help to love because you really didn't like them. Just being honest. I know I have, right? Like it's true. Um, and ever worked in a, a, a toxic environment with really negative vibes around you? Yeah, I, I know I have. If you're afraid to put your hand up, I, I know I have, right? So I'll put my hand up. But I think it's safe to say Daniel takes the win, right? Because here's the thing. He didn't have co-workers that were just trying to stop him from getting promoted, right? He, his co-workers were so jealous that they manipulated their ruler, right? With the sole intention of having him killed, right? Like, it's one thing to say something negative about a person you work with. It's another thing to maybe even try to stop them from getting promoted. But it's a whole different story to plot their death, right? I, 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 think, for, I, I think about this in real, in real terms. I wonder to myself, this is he puts in your wickedness in work. Um, I'm pretty sure they don't cover it in the employee handbook. 
I'm pretty sure it didn't get covered in orientation. And I'm really sure HR doesn't have a precedent to handle it. It's just completely next level, straight evil. We're going to kill this guy so that he's gone. Um, and again, like, what happens? Again, it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Very interesting. So the main point of this text, right, the main point of this text is, is to reveal uh, Daniel's character and response in light of his understanding of God's sovereignty, right? So it's really to reveal his character and his response in light of his understanding of God's sovereignty because he knew God was still sovereign in spite of everything, and he literally just did what he always did without any issue. Um, the rest of the chapter, what happens? Well, the last you know, 10 to 14 verses or so we see, so he does get thrown into the lion's den, right? It does happen. The king tries his best to figure out a way around it, but he can't. The law is the law, and he gets thrown into the lion's den. The king can't sleep because he's thinking about his friend in the lion's den all night. Uh, he wakes up really early in the morning. He shows up. He's like, Daniel, Daniel, are you there? You know, did God save you? And of course, God did save him. So the next, the next thing that happens is you know, they take Daniel out. Um, Daniel says, angel protected me, closed the lion's mouth. And then we get this verse, verse 24, which is uh, a very violent verse that I would say. It's probably one of the most violent verses recorded in Scripture. It says, and the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. It's pretty graphic. Um, and the point of that verse, I believe, honestly, is, is to emphasize something. It's to emphasize that um, this den was not the home for retired, toothless lions. No, these weren't kitty cats. These were ferocious lions. These were incredibly powerful lions. And only God could have protected Daniel that night. That's why I think that verse is in there. So we know that. So Daniel, you know, goes on to prosper and the rest of his life, you know, he's exalted. And, I mean, Darius, actually, the king, goes on to exalt God, right? So it's a pretty amazing story. If, if you never heard it as a child or you just haven't heard it before, I mean, it's a really cool story. In fact, the whole book of Daniel is amazing. Uh, specifically, the main point of the sermon tonight, now we've unpacked the passage, I'll transition a bit, is to remind us that God is still sovereign in 2023, um, and hopefully to challenge us to live our lives in response to his sovereignty, just like Daniel did, right? Again, the same God here in this book with the lions, right, that same God is still sovereign today in 2023. I know it, it could seem at times like things are spinning out of control, but he's still sovereign, so we have to hold on to that. So the question then that you might want to ask, and I hope you're asking, is, all right, well, Sounds good, but how do we live lives in response to God's sovereignty? Like, what does that look like? Um, put it another way, we could do it this way. We could say, well, what do we see Daniel do that maybe um, we could emulate in our own lives, right? So to do that, I actually found some really helpful resources. So Charles Spurgeon, uh, who some of you would know, well, not personally because that would make you 250 years old, but Charles Spurgeon, who lived in the 1800s, is considered by many to be one of the greatest preachers since the days of the apostles. They actually call him the Prince of Preachers, I believe. 
Um, he preached a message on Daniel 6.10, and he provided some insights that helped me to, to unpack these four patterns of prayer that we could hopefully process and apply in our lives in a very practical way um, that will help us just persevere through prayer, right? So the first one, centrality of prayer, right? So Spurgeon said it like this, and I envision Spurgeon being a proper Englishman, just you know, said, uh, prayerfulness was the secret of da- Daniel's power, right? Maybe he sounds like that. Maybe he didn't. In my head, he sounds like that. So in other words, though, it says, prayerfulness was the secret of Daniel's power. Um, prayer was central and essential to Daniel's life, right? Um, and it needs to be central in our daily lives. So what does that mean? I mean, here's a little example. It's a simple example, but hopefully it'll work. So most of us have smartphones. I'm not going to fight which is better, Android or whatever. I'm not. I'm just going to. They're all really smart, sometimes smarter than me. It's fine. Um, but whatever phone you have, it's probably smart, and it's either Apple or Android most likely. Um, and they promise you will. Oh, my phone can make me coffee. It could drive my car. It can do all these things, right? They, they promise all these things. But they all have one thing in common, every smartphone, right? One, one, one thing. doesn't matter if it's Android or Apple. One thing is in common. It needs power, right? It needs charge. If it doesn't have that, right, it doesn't work well. Like, I know from my Apple phone that the lower the phone's charge, the slower it operates, the more glitchy it becomes, in fact, actually, it just kind of freezes and malfunctions. And eventually, if it runs out of power completely, it just shuts off. And at that point, it's just a, a dead, like, I could put paper on it. There's nothing I could do with it, right? Just, just this dead device. Uh, it can't do any basic functions or any vaunted functions, right? It's just a dead phone. So Jesus, for us, um, he's the source of life, right? And he's our power source. And... For basically, if you have a dead phone, you know, you, you, you find a power brick or a power source, you plug it in, and eventually, when you plug it in and you wait, eventually you'll see it come on, right? That's how it works. For me, for us, in this illustration, this little cable, that sounds silly. I mean, Jesus is the source of life. He's the power source. And this little cable represents prayer, Right? This is how you stay connected to Jesus. And without this connection, you won't function the way you were designed. Simple. Um, you won't fulfill the potential that you have. You won't unlock the features that God's put into you. No. Um, you'll just malfunction. And eventually, you might just stop functioning altogether. All right? And that's, that's prayer. So plug in your phone, fall to your knees, pray. The second one, rhythm of prayer. So... Again, Spurgeon says it in really proper English. He says, Daniel made a business of prayer, right? So what does that mean? So we don't really talk like that as much nowadays, but he said, it basically means that Daniel went to a specific location. In that passage, right, again, it's very clear. He went to a specific location, a dedicated quiet space, three times a day. Probably, I'm, I'm guessing, maybe in the morning, maybe somewhere in the middle of the day, and then probably somewhere at night. He built this rhythm into his life, into his daily routine. It was, it was just a part of everything he did. Uh, Martin Luther, he's another stalwart in, in, the Christian, in Christian history, right? He's the catalyst that, that began the Reformation, right? And if you're not familiar with who he is, just think about this for a sec. We're in a church that's called All Saints Lutheran. There's an entire denomination named after this guy, right? So he's a big deal in church history. And this is, this is interesting. 
When they asked him how he was planning to spend his day, Martin Luther replied, and this is interactive, so you can do this with me. The first half of this quote, I, I, I'm with. It says, I have so much to do. Right, anybody? I have, I have so much to do. It's just one of those days you wake up, hands up. I have, I just, I just have so much to do today, right? Keep your hands up if the rest applies, right? It says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. Yeah. Um, so let me get this straight. You're so busy that you're going to pray for three hours to start your day. Whew. Basically, they say, if we have much to do, we need to spend more time in prayer, not less. Uh, I'll be honest and say that that's probably countercultural to where we are today, sadly. 21st century, right? I mean, if we're honest, and I hope you're being honest with yourself, so I'm being honest with myself, prayer and quiet time is kind of one of the first things that gets cut down or even cut out sometimes if I'm super busy. I have so much to do. I have so much to do. But, you know, if we have much to do, we need to make time for prayer. If we have much to do, we need to pray more, not less. And that's the message, right? Like, pray more, not less, no matter how busy you are. The third one is uh, posture for prayer, right? So, it's a little fun exercise, right? You don't have to raise your hands for this one, and nobody's going to look at you for this one, which is great. So, you can be super honest with yourself, right? I'm going to ask you. I promise it's not a yoga thing. It's just... Close your eyes and clear your mind first. Just, just, just close your eyes. Don't think about anything. Um, just empty your mind. And now for a second, just try to picture in your mind, in this verse, Daniel praying, you know, three times a day. You have an image? All right, open your eyes. Question. Here's a question. So, in your mind, in the image you came up with, was, was Daniel um, laying half asleep in bed praying? Anybody? No. Okay. Let me try another one. Um, was he praying while on his commute, maybe in between traffic lights? No? While he was on a subway, maybe? No? Real quick? No? All right. Um, was he praying in between checking his phone, checking his posts, checking the news, checking texts? No? No? All right. How was he praying for you all? Was he on his knees, with his hands raised, facing Jerusalem or wherever? Um, probably kneeling, right, standing. In my mind, that's it too, right? Like, he's, he's focused, he's locked in, he's praying. Um, so, here's the thing. Please, I'm not... This is important. I am not saying it's wrong to lay in bed and pray. I'm not, right? I'm also not saying that, um, you know, praying at night and then falling asleep while you're praying is wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray while you're on your commute, while you're driving, or while you're on the train. I'm not saying that, right? I think it is, I do think it is wrong or probably, yeah, I'm not appropriate to be distracted, though, with a bunch of other things while you're supposed to be praying. I, I do think that. But what I am saying, though, is I think that if these are the only times that you are praying, then my recommendation, my challenge, my, my plea, right, is that you take a moment to reflect and just honestly assess how distracted you might be while you're praying. Just whether or not you can be more focused and intentional. And honestly, do better, right? Because we're going before God is sovereign. We could do better, right? If that's all we're doing, I think we could do better. The last one, number four, purposefulness in prayer. Again, Spurgeon points it out in this verse. He says, and this, I love this. He says, Daniel's time was the same. 
His manner was the same. And his attitude was the same. Daniel did not portray one drop of anxiety. He did not shrink. He did not hide. Daniel didn't wave in his prayers. He didn't wave in his thanksgiving to God. Even during what could have been the last moments of his life, he didn't. Daniel's purposeful prayers led to perseverance, integrity, and consistency in his character, right? While living out his faith no matter the cost. His devotion to God was so clearly visible that the wicked co-workers, they based their entire strategy on the fact that they believed that he would be faithful. And he was. And ask yourself honestly, I mean, would you and I be so resolute in prayer if falling to our knees meant that we might lose our lives? No, it's just a question. I'll give you a, a story that's pretty personal. It's very fresh, actually. So I'll share something. We are having a baby in six weeks. It's pretty exciting. It's great. I mean, my wife is super pregnant. You know, it's just great, all right? Um, that's awesome. I mean, we've had three other kids, but it doesn't matter because having a baby always makes you scared, always makes you prepare, always... It should, right? If it doesn't, then I think maybe, you know, you need to, like, reassess, right? Um, but here's the thing. In light of preparing, and while working through all that we have to do, all, all the rising course dwindling savings, just all of this. In light of this, my company started laying off, laying off staff this week, right? Across the whole organization. In fact, on Wednesday, 100 team members from IT, where I work, got laid off. One of them was my manager, actually, right? So to say the least, there's a lot of uncertainty, and there's probably more cuts coming. Uh, just so much uncertainty, so much cuts. And if I, honestly, if I dwell on it, if I start thinking about all the ways it could impact my family with the baby coming and everything, just it'll make me worry just because it's, it's really not in my hands. It's just, it's just not. I don't, have, I, don't have, I don't seem to have control over this. But studying the book of Daniel, which has been such a blessing to me over the past few weeks preparing for the message, studying the book has just reminded me of, of God's sovereignty. Not just if he's sovereign over the nations, the rulers, the empires, the, world, the historic world events, that same God is sovereign over my life, right? He's sovereign over my family. He's sovereign over the tiny details too. And it means that it's actually okay if it's out of my hands because it's in his hands. And that's very reassuring for me. Um, and I could persevere through faith, through prayer because I know that his hands have it. And that gives me comfort. So I could fall to my knees and not be consumed by worry. And when I feel worried or scared, to fall to my knees and look to him because he's going to be there. Couple rebuttals that will probably come up that I think we should talk about. So the first one, Renee, shouldn't Daniel have, you know, shouldn't he have obeyed the king? Like, I mean, the king passed the law. Shouldn't he have obeyed the law? Spurgeon said it like this. Any law of man that infringes the law of God is null and void at once. It is the duty of every Christian to disregard every law of earth that is contrary to a law of heaven. Very clear, right? Uh, for Daniel, a den of lions was nothing uh, compared to the risk of disobeying God, right? Um, and for Christians, the prevailing law is always God's law. It's not the Constitution. It's not the employee handbook. It's, it's, it's the Bible, right? It's what God says. Uh, we see this with the disciples, too, in, in Acts, when you know, the Pharisees who are running the, the country say, 
don't preach in his name. Don't talk about Jesus. And they say, we have to, we will. We're going to anyway. We're going to defy you and do it. Even if you, you beat us, even if you kick us out, even if you kill we're going to do it. Right? Again, as Sulejan put it, it's null and void at once, right? If it infringes the law of God in any way. Second one. All right, this is a good one. <laughs> it's a really good one. It says, in the end, um, <laughs> with all the praying, wasn't Daniel uh, still thrown into the lion's den? Yeah, he was. Um, so <laughs> Daniel's deliverance wasn't from the lion's den. It occurred in the lion's den. Here's the thing with this. If you're like me, when you know something's coming, God, please take this away. Please, 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 Lord, just, just help me avoid this. Lord, protect me from this. That is my prayers, right? I'm not necessarily asking God to take me through this. Right? I'm asking him to protect me and keep me away from it. So it's interesting because God didn't deliver Daniel. He didn't, he didn't give him an out. He got thrown in the lion's den. It happened. Um, for you and I, I mean... The way, the way Swigen puts it, he put it like this, which I really liked. I was reading it. He says, expect the lion's den will be there and that you will be put into it. Expect it, go through it. Doesn't sound reassuring, but it is. He says, expect it and go through it. Why? Because although there are consequences to being faithful to God, um, sometimes dire, again, Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Jesus was put on a cross. Um, for us, the lion's den might be something else, right? It could be um, separation from people you love and you care about. It could be you know, some kind of negative effect at work, maybe a loss of revenue in your business. It could be so many things. It could be hindering you from advancing your career. Um, it could be something. But whatever the consequence, this is the promise we have, whatever the consequence, you can be sure that God will be with you through it, just as he was with Daniel. And that's the truth. Um, if you think about Jesus and disciples on the storm, he saved them in the storm. He was with them in the boat, right? Like he, he protected them. He did it while in the storm. So the last one is a very difficult one. If God is sovereign, why is his world full of suffering? And we see it, right? I mean, we live, we live in these times, right? Terrorist organizations like Hamas, ISIS, Boko Haram, um, Al-Qaeda, they've just they've killed thousands of people. They've abducted hundreds of people. Um, we live in this world, like we see the news, right? We, we see loved ones and friends um, battle with illness and loss. We've seen people um, put into hospitals because people run them over with cars, right? We've, we've seen that. We've, we're living through that, right? This brokenness. And I can't fully understand, I can't fully answer the question, I can't. Right? The truth is, I just can't. But we could try to address it based on what the Bible does say, right? It says that based on Scripture, God didn't create evil, right? Evil came into the world from our enemy, Satan. Uh, he deceived Adam and Eve, and the moment that they chose their way instead of God's way, um, the world was broken, the world was fractured. And all the wickedness, all the suffering, everything that we see as a result of that, Sorry, all the wickedness and suffering, the illness, the degradation, all of it, everything that we see and experience is a result of humanity turning away from God. This is the end result. And the Bible calls this sin. That's what Christians refer to as sin. That's what we call sin. And God will, one day, one day we have the promise that God will cast the evil away. He'll redo the world and he'll rebuild and he'll restore the brokenness, right? It'll be, it'll be healed. But until then, we do have to live in the brokenness. But we have the reassurance 
that Christ will stand up with us through whatever we face. Before we close, one thing I want to say is this. It says, uh, the patterns of prayer that we talked about, the four of them, they, um, yes, they do lead to, you know, perseverance through prayer if you stick with them. They give you access to God. They do. But the bottom line is they're really only available to believers. Right? That's the truth, believers. People who have embraced the gospel, right? Um, that, you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, he, he came into the world and he, was, he led a life that was an example for us, right? He, he died on a cross to pay the cost, the, the cost for humanity's decisions to turn away from God. He did it. And we could, so that we could be reconciled through him, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. See, the believer is a person who recognizes their own brokenness, right? Their own, their own limitations, right, inside themselves, as well as the brokenness and limitations in the world around them. And then the believer is a person that chooses not to place their trust in themselves or in these institutions, whether it's money, career, um, relationships, no, it's placing your trust, not in yourself, not in the things in the world, but in Jesus. And accepting that we need Jesus. We need him, right? To rescue us, not just from the world, but from ourselves, right? So if you haven't yet transferred your trust in this way from yourself, from something else into Jesus, then you really need to begin crying out to Jesus today. That's the prayer you need to pray before you try to apply any of these patterns. That's the prayer you need. If, if you are a believer, then apply these in your life right now. Um, there'll be some pastors, some deacons at the back of church after service. And during this time when um, Charles will sing uh, the final song, um, in case you want to pray about this, in case you want to talk about this, or if you just need prayer. But I'll close out. Um, before I pray, by quoting uh, John Piper, who's somebody I, I, really, I really like, like the stuff he's, he's put out. He's a, a well-known a contemporary pastor. He says this. Today's text, because he also did a message on Daniel 6, he says, today's text is an amazing testimony to the daring, defiant, disciplined prayer life of Daniel. I read this, and it fills me with longing to be courageous in prayer. It makes me want to be daring in prayer, and if necessary, defiant against earthly powers in prayer, and disciplined in prayer. I don't want to be a spiritual jellyfish drifting on the sea of emotionalism, praying a little here, a little bit there, as the waves of emotion rise and fall. My hope is that God will use Daniel's example here to fill you with the same longing and the same commitment for this, the rest of this year and into next year. So I'll pray first. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, um, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to uh, unpack um, Daniel chapter 6 and help us, Lord God, to um, apply uh, some of these uh, patterns, Lord God, so that we can make you central in our life. We can, we can, you know, we can really have a rhythm and a posture, and, and you know, we, could, we could truly just be very consistent, Lord God, in our prayers, Lord. Help us, Lord God, to do that. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can
can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.